one thing that we get to do that no other creature on the planet can do is that we get to add value by creating things. And I went from $40 million in revenue to watching everything that I had built for God get sold. You've got to make sure that your identity is solidly rooted in who you are in Christ and not in having money. I sold my company and I really had a hard time getting out of bed. Maybe been a long year, maybe been a hard life, maybe you're not alright. Faith-driven entrepreneurs to do what they want to do have to understand what God has given them. There's winners and learners, not winners and losers. I feel like I was chosen to be on this show for a reason and I had to do something. Like we are addicted to comfort. And he's called me into really difficult positions. That's what he's told me to walk into. People like you, people like me. This is where we all find grace. Come on now. Entrepreneurship can be a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. This podcast and the whole ministry seeks to equip you, the faith-driven entrepreneur, to seize the unique opportunities that God has placed in front of you and overcome the challenges that life will throw your way. These are the stories of how he takes broken things and makes them new. Come for the podcast, stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur. Welcome back, everyone, to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast. From a background of volunteering and organizing soccer practices, Angel and Dan Rutledge created Sign Up Genius, the leading online sign up service for group organizers now used by, get this, 135 million plus people. Started in Charlotte in 2008, Sign Up Genius provides a platform for schools and churches, businesses, and other organizations to coordinate meetings and events. Their mission is to empower people to change the world by making it simple to organize groups. The husband and wife team landed majority investments in 2017 and successfully exited in 2019. Since then, Angel and Dan have been focused on mentoring and investing in entrepreneurs and developing the ecosystem for faith-driven entrepreneurs in Charlotte and in Liberia, where they adopted two children. We're delighted to have them on the Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast today to talk about their story. Let's listen in. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast. Today's episode, Rusty, takes me to one of my favorite states, in the country. Wait, wait, let me, a, let me, let me yeah. guess. Let me guess. <laughs> there's, there's actually two of them and one is on top of the other one. Let's see. Uh, yeah. It's uh, maybe North Carolina. Maybe, maybe, North maybe, maybe, yes, maybe. <laughs> and unfortunately, William is not, you know, and our audience knows now that you're a huge Purdue guy. William's a huge Alabama guy. I'm a huge Carolina guy. Uh, William is not here today, so um, we're not going to talk about Alabama, but we are indeed in the Tar Heel State in Charlotte, North Carolina, and today's episode is one that I've been looking forward to. We're going to be talking about scale. Angel and Dan have been part of something that scaled massively, and understand what that looks like, the viral growth that happens from that, I'm really interested in hearing about, and then also the fundamental underpinnings of what they do is about bringing together community. And I think that that's the way God designed us and that we experience his love through being in fellowship with other Christ followers that are his image bearers. And I think there are a lot of lessons learned from that. And 
And we've got a husband and wife combination. And I think that's always good too. Yeah, just understanding great. what that looks like as entrepreneurs. So we got a lot of stuff going on today, but before we go much further, Angel and Dan, thank you very, very much for joining us. Well, we're oh, glad to be you. here. Excellent. Okay. So let's start off by getting to know you both a little bit better. Who are you? Where are you from? And then how has God led you to where you are today? Sure. I'll start here. I, I grew up in Michigan and Midwestern guy. And I had the fortune, you know, the blessing of really growing up with really solid Christian parents in a small church, small Christian school, just a lot of youth leaders, teachers, Sunday school teachers, just kind of pouring into me. And that is awesome. Not everyone gets that. I'm so thankful for it and was able to come to Christ at an early age due to all that influence. And so that was great. When I got to college, I really felt called in college to be in the entertainment industry back in the early 90s. And there wasn't a lot of Christian presence in the entertainment industry like there is now. It was almost like we had kind of abandoned the arts. And I really just wanted to be a kind of a voice in the mainstream industry. And that's what I was studying. I met Angel in college. We were both involved in Campus Crusade. And uh, she was a little out of my league. But, you know, I had that entrepreneur persistence. So I kind of wore her down. And, uh, you know, eventually she uh, she came around. So that was good. <laughs> and we got married. Do you, after. do you remember? Do you remember what it was that made him so winsome? You know, it was God, honestly. <laughs> it was a God it was thing. Not, yeah. It was no, no it was we not were me. great friends. We met on projects. <laughs> we were friends for a year. And I just thought he was a great friend, but I was really growing in my relationship with God. So I was kind of I was one of those college girls who was like, I'm just dating the Lord. Then all of a sudden, a year later, you know, our whole group would get together at different campuses, and all of a sudden it was like, Wow, I really like him. And it was just from there on. Where do you go, Dan? Where do you go, Dan? More proof that God loves you and wants you to be happy. You got to play the long game on some of these things, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. Uh, we got married out of college and then we did move around to a number of different places while I was trying to pursue this entertainment uh, dream, vision, passion. So we were in Los Angeles for a little while and Virginia Beach for a little while. It even brought us to Charlotte so was pursuing that along the way. God kind of dropped in my lap the whole internet thing, which I wasn't expecting. And so I was kind of doing internet work on the side to really actually make money while I was pursuing this vision of making an impact in the entertainment industry. But it was always just kind of my day job. <laughs> and then along the way, of course, we had kids and uh, four kids and Great family, Angel, you can probably speak a little more to that piece too. Well, before sure, yes. we do that, because my co-host is a entertainment entrepreneur too, yeah, familiar with that scene. Give us just a quick overview. It's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about yeah. Sign Up Genius and the new project you're working on and so many other things, but you touched kind of vaguely on a dream you're pursuing in the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. What was it? Yeah, I really wanted to be in the mainstream industry doing mainstream films that communicated redemptive themes or really my thought was just stories that move people from wherever they are closer to a relationship with God. So, you know, might be recognizing that he exists, might be like all the way 
on the other end of increasing in their faith. So there was a lot of spectrum in there, but like really just being a voice in the marketplace. And I got it from going to college and I went into these film classes and I was just kind of shocked, honestly, at what <laughs> what was out there and what we were studying in the film classes. And I was like, wow, does anybody realize what all this is saying? So that was kind of my big vision, a <laughs> big dream at the beginning. And if you'd done it, you would have named it Angel Studios, but somebody else ended up doing that yes, for you. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which we're so thankful. Yeah, we're so, exactly. I mean, it's been such a great, exciting thing to see how God oh, has, yeah. Yeah, has yeah. done that. It's great. It's yeah. awesome. So God had you called for something different. And every faith driven entrepreneur is involved somewhat in solving a problem or leaning into an opportunity. Talk to us about that process for Sign Up Genius. Sure. It had a lot to do with what we were doing at the time. We were both really involved in our family's lives. This was about 2008. We had four kids under nine. And for me, the film dream had kind of come to a halt at that point. It was kind of like the adult faced the reality of like, I really can't pursue this any longer. I've got to go find some other things. We had a lot of family responsibilities and I was looking for other things. And then, Angel, maybe you want to speak to all the things we were involved in because that kind of brought the idea to mind. Right. Yes. I think even as Dan talks about not really thinking about technology as a career more than providing money for us to pursue other things. That's exactly how I was thinking about it too. And, you know, when we were out in LA, my big passions were twofold. You know, we had two kids while we were out there. And so I just, you know, had a hard growing up experience, didn't become a Christian until college and through Campus Crusade for Christ. And so I was really passionate about, you know, having a different family experience for our kids. And so I loved being a mom and being involved in their lives however I could. Uh, A lot of that meant volunteering in their school and church and wherever they were, Dan and youth sports and So we were organizing a lot of the groups with them. And then when we went from having two kids, we overnight went from two to four, didn't have twins. We actually adopted two kids from Liberia, West Africa. So our four, I guess, came together in 2007. So just a year before Sign Up Genius. And the reason really that we needed Sign Up Genius was because of that, because we went from having two to four and all of a sudden all the groups that we were organizing not just doubled, but it felt like multiplied tenfold. And so we were trying to take care of them and all of these different things we were doing in the U.S., but then also fell in love with the church planning ministry that had cared for Henry and Angela and our two that came home from there. And they were doing, you know, just amazing things in Liberia, but it was only a few years after the civil war that had lasted 14 years. And so there were just so many things that we were able to come alongside and just serve underneath their leadership. And it required, again, more organizing of groups. And so we were really at the point where I was, you know, had many times come to Dan before and said, okay, this is what I need right now. Like, can you just build something real quick? And so he was at a point in between, you know, saying, okay, the film work, I think I'm going to have to just not do that. And what are we going to do? And and Dan, you can probably describe some more of that and what that decision-making process was for you. But, you know, in both of our lives, we were organizing church, school, 
sports, nonprofit, ministry, just pretty much everything. And we made a lot of mistakes. I mean, honestly, like it came out of organizing failures. Like if you remember back then, like people, when they needed to get volunteers, they'd send these reply all emails and they'd send it out to like 40 people. And they'd be like, just reply back. Who's going to cover this and who's going to cover that? And so you get like 35 emails and everybody's like replying to the same thing and not seeing stuff. And so like events would go terribly. I had one time I was coaching a soccer team. This was for my kids. And I was supposed to make sure that we had snacks there every week after the game. And so I created a paper sign-up sheet and I passed it around to all the parents and had them sign up for who was going to bring snacks. And then a week or so went by. And then one of the moms was like, we're going to be on vacation. And she switched with another mom and the other mom wanted to switch her week. And they said, can you get that paper? And I went to find the paper and I had lost the paper. And so the whole season, we'd have like double snacks one week and no snacks the other week. And my mom was like, can you call us every week and tell us who's supposed to do the snacks? And I'm like, I really don't have time to do that. There's got to be a better way to organize this. And so through a variety of stuff like this, we were like, I think like a system could probably remind you automatically. That would be a lot easier. Right. So we talk about that. Just, you know, let's just put the paper sign up online. It could automatically remind people. You just basically take the organizer out of it. The organizer in a few minutes should just be able to put all of the responsibilities up there, then send out the invites. You know, the system can do that automatically and then, People can sign up. It doesn't matter. You know, that was another big thing. It, it should not matter whether it's something for church, nursery at church, or parent-teacher conference, or taking supplies on a mission trip. Like, everything we're doing, this whole system needs to be able to, in a few minutes, set up a sign-up online. People can sign up. It sends out automatic reminders, and the organizer looks like they're a genius. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so, okay, the reason I say amazing is that on one level, it's amazing. On another level, it's actually not that amazing. But what's really, really amazing to me was that uh, we have kids about the same age. I was on soccer sidelines at the same time. And remember just the inanity. I don't know if inanity is a word, but we're going to go with it and pretend (laughs) it's a word. The inanity of it all, of trying to go ahead, because come ahead, other things. We had three kids all doing different sports. And somebody like, okay, so you got to hang out. You got to go order like the Capri Suns, which are probably the worst snack a kid could probably ever have. And and all this kind of stuff. And I was right there. And I remember feeling the same type of pain point that you did. And I just complained about it. You went out and started a company that impacted the lives of 135 million people. And I, just, I think that's amazing is that when you get this, this base thing of like, you know, this is, this is just could be better. Yeah. And you and I experiencing the same pain point at the same time in history. And you guys actually doing something about it. And I just complained about it. In good use of the word inanity. It really is. It is a word. It's about uh, that. Yeah, it's a nonsensical remark or action. So now, you know, you guys can put on sign up genius. Remove the inanity. Just yeah. remove the inanity. <laughs> People are like, that's not a word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to applaud you, but also ask you a question at the same time because, you know, so many times those of us who advise or invest or get involved in in startups and work with founders, um, you know, they 
they come from a place of, you know, what's the problem they're trying to solve. But so many times they try to solve a problem that's not their problem. Right. And you go back to him and say, well, no, 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 no. You need to try to solve something where you have a pain point. And that's what you all did. Right. You had that problem. Then you come up with a technology solution to that. But yet you do it without, you know, the benefit of graduating from Stanford or getting MBAs and, you know, entrepreneurship. And do you think that, you know, what you've done with Sign Up Genius I mean, should be an inspiration for aspiring entrepreneurs who they don't have MBAs or decades of experience doing one thing, you know, either in business or in technology, but come from someplace else. But yet you did it. So they should be able to do it, right? Absolutely. Yes. In fact, I hope that's what people take from this is, you know, if Dan and I could start a company and God can use that to impact all of those people, millions of people using it every year, then anyone could be an entrepreneur. They really could. You know, I thinking about what it was like for me growing up, I never saw a woman who was an entrepreneur. So for me, it was not even in my, like if somebody had asked me, could I do it? I would have said, of course, I no, that's not something that I would ever do, but I just never even thought about it. Beyond that, like you said, we didn't, have the MBAs. I had no business education. Dan didn't have a business education. Neither of us had worked in a corporate setting. You know, I had been a teacher in a middle school and then had written novels and parenting articles and, you know, was not in the corporate world at all and certainly didn't have all the financial resources to start a business. So definitely should be encouraging. In fact, you know, I've actually started writing a book called Everyday on MBA and just with the thought of, hey, here are different roles in my life and in Dan's life that we pulled from and took all the lessons we had learned in those other roles, applied them to be an entrepreneur. And here's what other entrepreneurs have done. That's the same thing. And use that to sort of outline a, here's what you need to do in a business. So you're right. Your everyday life lessons are your MBA as an entrepreneur. So I'm going to flip it around on you and ask you, if there was training in education that would have been beneficial to you, what do you wish that would have been? Yeah. You know, we did talk about this sometimes is there are some things that you do have to learn and like that were real pain points, like a lot of the financials, keeping financials and accounting and taxes and complex HR issues. And you're trying to learn that on the fly. And, you know, experience in that would be great. I mean, there's some benefit to not knowing also because you don't have preconceived ideas of how businesses should do things. So sometimes like you break barriers that you didn't know were there. So that can be helpful. But yeah, there was a lot of time I remember like something would come up and an employee would be like, what do we do? And I'd be like, well, you realize we don't know what we're doing, right? Like, hold that thought and I will go research it and then I will tell you because I'm just making this up. So like, yes, some of those things would have been helpful, but once you encounter a pain point, you just got to go in and, and learn. And, and what about how your faith helped you through that? 
you know, not only maybe helping you work through the shortcomings of knowledge and experience, but also in trying to make some of the business decisions that you've made. And as Henry said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, you've scaled. I mean, you went from an idea to a very, very large scale. I'm interested about how your faith was just a part of that process. I think that was better in some ways that we didn't have the MBA training, the business training, all of the, you know, the accounting. It was certainly difficult at times and we made a lot of mistakes and our employees were super gracious. Customers were gracious, but because we didn't have those things, our faith was what led us, which is really how we should work in any business, whether we're already competent in it or not. So for us, we really just, you know, fell back on the lessons that we already lived out our lives and said, okay, what does God say about how do you steward resources and how do you use money and how do you treat people? You know, how do you work through conflict and um, ask for forgiveness? And, you know, how do you put in time on the things that God has called you to be excellent at, you know, and, and even bigger, like how do you handle tough circumstances, right? Like all of those things are much better to seek the Lord in and allow him to teach and guide us. And then our skill set, which needs to be excellent, follows that. But skills I've always found with the people that we've hired, like skills you can usually teach in a matter of time, but those other things are very difficult to teach. Yeah. Just an example of that. Like you're just trying to make decisions based on what you think is important based on what you learned in your faith. So like later in the company, like when it got bigger, we had more advanced business experts come in and analyze everything. You know, they're kind of looking at things. I remember they were like, you know, why do you have so much customer service? Like, you know, companies don't have this much customer service as a percentage of the company. And we we're like, well, I don't know what companies have for customer service percentage, but I do know that like uh, the whole purpose of our company is to help these people. And therefore, like we made it a priority to make sure that they were always taken care of. And so like some things you did wrong, wrong, but they were uh, influenced by just, you know, a biblical worldview of putting people <laughs> over profits and people over product and things like that. Right. So you mentioned, Angel, about difficult decisions, difficult situations that you may have not known how to deal with at the time. And one of those in any open platform today is platform moderation, right? So you can take GoFundMe, you could look at Facebook, you can look at Reddit. It doesn't matter what these open platforms are. They're either taking flack for over-moderating or under-moderating, right? And so I assume that you probably struggled with that too with Sign Up Genius, when groups would pop up and how those might be organized and would those fit with your values, your mission statement, not with your mission statement or values. Can you talk us through, if that did happen, give us some examples and how you work through them? Yeah, I can probably speak to that, actually. Um, the scale is a challenge. And I, I feel for some of these companies, you know, like, at the end of when we were leading the company and working in the office, we were doing, you know, 200,000 to 500,000 events per month with 
10 to 50 people in each event. So you've got millions of people interacting on these events. And transparently, like we had 30 to 35 staff managing that. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to build systems just to protect against malicious attacks, because certainly there will be malicious attempts to use the tool, I don't know, for spam or to get access to like all the people that are using it. So you build a lot of that in. In terms of like the events that are actually being organized, you know, we had some discussion on this because like occasionally things would come up, not a lot because we were working with schools and churches and nonprofits. So most everything was like so neat to be a part of. But occasionally, sometimes things would come up and people would be like, are, are we OK with that having that event on the site? And I don't know if this is right. Our perspective was that we are not deciding which events are right and wrong or whether someone can use the tool. We are offering the service. We will try to protect from malicious intent. Uh, So just like Target doesn't check IDs at the door to see what you believe in on whether you can come shop, but they would put a metal detector to prevent you from doing something malicious, or if you're in the store and you start causing a problem, they would escort you out. And that was kind of how we assumed it, because we are just like I have many neighbors and friends that believe differently than I do, but they're still my friends and I still (laughs) serve them and interact with them, then we would provide the service and not make those judgments. But, you know, there were certainly some things that we didn't promote You know, you have marketing that you're like pursuing certain verticals, like we might pursue growth in the church vertical or in the sports team vertical. And then there would be other things that like they may use it, but we're not pursuing that market aggressively. So that's kind of how we handled it. I'm sure other people uh, have different thoughts, but that was our perspective. So I want to pivot a little bit. So thank you for that. I want to pivot a little bit to something that some number of our listeners got to be wondering um, what's it like to do business with your spouse, husband and wives getting together. Kim and I are remarkably happily married. I don't know that we could have done bandwidth together and you guys have done that. And just, what does that look like? I mean, just talk us through. There's a number of listeners here that are either husband and wives or in business right now, or that are thinking about launching a business together. Just give us some wisdom. It's always wonderful. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer, honey. <laughs> may not be truthful. It sounds awesome. It does sound good, doesn't it? Yeah. No, that's uh, not true. You, you can be honest here, hon. I, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and they were talking, this person had gotten married right when the pandemic started. And then they had lived, you know, had their first year of marriage where they were just confined to the house. And they said, I feel like I've been married you know, one year, but in real years, it's like seven, you know, and it's a little bit like that when you work together in a company, you know, like so many issues come up that you have to kind of be better at communicating and work through those things. And um, there definitely is some sense like we would sometimes have to be at home and be like, okay, is this a work conversation or is this a personal 
conversation. Are you asking me my work advice? Are you telling me, you know, and we kind of have to work through that piece. So that was one piece. Uh, How did you divide responsibilities? Sure. That was probably the best way that we figured out to work together is that, you know, not too long into it, we realized that we had very different skill sets and that that was a good thing. And I think that's often where people think about, oh, we couldn't work together because we'd always be trying to own whatever the decisions are. But the reality is, you know, Dan really focused on the technology and the vision part of the company. And I focused on more of the business end of it, the operations and the marketing and the team building, the culture. I remember one time, you know, working on the homepage together and Dan's a great graphic artist, but I was the CMO and, you know, working on the homepage and I had the design figured out and I, you know, showed him the wireframe. And at the same time, even though I was the CMO, he was the CEO you know, and so we kind of went through like, okay, he wanted a piece to be different. And so I just had to say, okay, who owns this? You know, who owns this piece? Who gets to make this decision? And so, you know, every once in a while it would come down to that. And ultimately he owned the decisions. He was the CEO of the company. So, you know, there were a few times where it came down to, okay, we don't agree on this, but I trust you. You're the CEO of the company. You get to make this decision. But most of the time, we would say, okay, you know this area a lot better. You know, I handled the finances. So if it was something on projections or budgeting, you know, we'd discuss it and certainly give input and disagree on some things, but I would own that. And he would own the technology. If I definitely had input on here's what the tool should do or how it should look. And, you know, at the end of the day, he owned those decisions. So that was a big piece and definitely, you know, asking for forgiveness a lot because it doesn't matter how good you are at knowing who owns what, when you get in the middle of a decision and you're tired and, you know, everybody's been asking for things all day, you're not always at your best and interacting with your spouse, or if it's midnight and you still have work to finish before you Mm -hmm. go to bed. I, I grew a lot too. I think working with Angel, like, you know, it's like when you get married, you are like, wow, I didn't realize I had all these (laughs) sins or problems until I start living with someone because your spouse will actually, you know, help. There's nowhere to hide. Right. And like in business, sometimes when you're in leadership, you can hide because like people won't tell you the truth. But like when you're married, you do get told the truth and it does help you grow, you know? So something like, you know, we'd get done with the meeting and Angel would be like, you know, did you realize you interrupted those two women while they were in their conversation. And I would be like, oh, I I did not realize that, you know, I, and we would have a conversation about it. And I would realize over time, okay, I really am not interacting in a way that is honoring everybody equally. And I've got to change that. And so like, it is helpful to have someone that is close to you that can speak into your life, I think in any capacity and it helps in business for you to grow just as it helps in your marriage for you to grow. Angel, I want to ask you a question and you have both hinted at the answers to this and I hope our listeners have been picking up on it, but you talked about culture and some of the things that I picked up on are that you were endeavored to delight your customer, your customer service, 
you had a great partnership. I think there's something really powerful. One of the things that David and I were able to do a bandwidth and he more with me was able to say just some of the things about, Hey, one of the things when you're talking, you didn't pick up the body language from that person to that person and the power of partnership in the culture. Tell us some more of the things that you discovered with time about culture, because you are intentional about it. You had a clear mission statement. You had some great success. Just riff on that a bit. Sure. Absolutely. The mission of the company was something that we honestly didn't set out. We didn't start with it. We certainly said, hey, we want to make it simple for group organizers to do what they do, because that's the problem. You know, so we were trying to solve a problem. We didn't understand until a couple of years into the company that God had a mission for the company. And I don't say that as in, okay, Sign Up Genius was unique. It was more for us that, hey, companies can be purposeful. Um, they don't just solve a problem. They don't just make money. They don't just pay people salary. Companies should have a purpose beyond those things. And so as we began to see the group organizers using the tool, they were really the ones who showed us the mission of the company. And that was to empower people to change the world by making it simple to organize groups. And we didn't say that as a, okay, every person is changing the world, but we saw you know, neighbors changing their neighborhood as they organized meals for somebody who had a baby or for somebody who just had surgery, they were changing their neighborhood. Or we were seeing, you know, parents and teachers changing their school community because they were all getting involved and volunteering and having parent-teacher conferences and raising more money for the school. And so our group organizers really were the ones who showed us this has a powerful purpose. And once we saw that and we put that on paper, it very quickly defined the values for a company. So, you know, one of those is everything had to be simple. The tool had to be simple. Our processes had to be simple. We saw that we were working with millions of people. So in order to make the tool, you know, cost effective, we had to be able to serve all of them. So, you know, our customer service, everything had to be very simple. We had to, you know, strive for excellence in the areas that mattered most because our customers deserved it, you know, and, and we wanted to spotlight them. So that was another big value for us is, is spotlighting what they were doing. And then it wasn't about our company growing bigger, but it was about making these group organizers look like the geniuses that they were and showing the value that they were having in in their communities. And so, yeah, it affected, you know, from our hiring, we had to hire people who were servants. We couldn't hire, you know, people who were, okay, this company, we're going to have this, you know, 15 year, big, hairy, audacious goal. You know, this, it was, okay, we're going to follow God and we're going to serve people. And those were people that we hired and, you know, everything. I mean, we had it from how we did our meetings, how we did performance reviews, we even had, you know, just the different types of positions. Everybody was very important in, in the company and had a voice in the company because the people who were part-time were probably the ones who, or they were the ones who were the group organizers. They were the ones who were using the tool out in the community and then coming and working part-time at Sign Up Genius. So it really just affected everything the company did to have that mission. That's great. All right, we're going to pivot to our lightning round. This is where we ask you some quick questions and I'm going to take the lead. Uh, first thing that comes to mind. All right. Is that okay? 
You go with yeah. that. All right. All right. Most memorable event that was ever hosted on Sign Up Genius that you knew about. <laughs> uh, I loved when it impacted. Like I know this is kind of tragic, but when it was large national tragedies, when we'd help with like a hurricane, or when the shooting happened in Charleston, or in the nine were shot in the church, like. They organized all the meals for the funeral with Sign Up Genius. And like, how neat to be able to be a part of that, even though like it's a horrible, horrible situation. If we can step into that and assist in any way, that's an honor. Right. Absolutely. And and those were, I think, the most powerful things that we saw, even though we loved all of the uses and the ways that, you know, churches use it and schools and mission teams, all of that. But for me, that one was the most impactful was a man who wrote in and said, hey, I started this ministry years ago called No One Dies Alone. And people sign up and go to sit and be with people in the hospital in their last days when they don't have a family member or someone else. And thank you so much. We've been able to expand that because I don't have to spend so much time organizing it. A lot more people are signing up for that. And just things like that are just so incredibly powerful to see, you know, one person at a time just doing amazing things. So I think that was my favorite. All right. So you figured out a life inefficiency that has helped millions of people. What's another life inefficiency that you'd wish a up and coming entrepreneur would solve? This is not a small one. So kudos to whichever entrepreneur takes this, but I would like all of my family's health records to be owned (laughs) by us and in a software tool that we get to give permission to whoever, you know, doctors or whatever. And it's getting there. It's slowly getting there. But this is one that I think this should have been done many years ago. Would love to have just something very simple so I can see everything in one spot. I would love that too. I would love that too. Dan? I'm going to say like something with the auto industry, like buying, selling, maintaining, insuring, maintaining your car, like drives me crazy the amount of time that it takes, especially if you have kids and there's multiple cars in the family. I just wish there was an optimized way. I don't know anything about that industry, but somebody go figure it out. All right. That's a good one. Uh, what's the uh, tastiest barbecue in Charlotte? Dan, you I have think to we'll, take this one. <laughs> we'll get our North Carolina license revoked if we answer this one, because we're more like avocado chicken salad or something. like I, Mediterranean. I only, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So asking for a friend who goes to North Carolina quite a few times, and will be going soon to drop his son back off at school. Best ice cream in North Carolina? Ooh. And Charlotte, because we we need a whole bunch of people from Winston Salem going to have issues. And, okay, I can tell <laughs> you. We're just going to Charlotte. Um, right. All our all our kids love this place called Andy's in Charlotte, where it's like huge shakes with all the stuff in it. You know, it would be like more calories than I can have in a week, but like you know, they love it. They so do. You can check that out. That's right. But you are going to see a lot of high schoolers if you go because, um, you know, but you could probably get a lot of ice cream for about $10 for your whole family. That sounds awesome. They might like it. My my friend Henry. Oh, I'm sorry. My friend that uh, that I'm sure he he will like that. And then lastly, uh, really quickly, 
or maybe not quickly if you don't want to. You got a new venture you're working on? We do have a new venture that we're working on. And so um, this one, rather than working with group organizers, actually individuals, and we we realized through the pandemic that you know it was really nice for people to be able to come home and we've got this big remote work focus now, which has been great, uh, mostly because people want to spend more time with the ones that they love at home and have better work-life balance. But it's also, I think, left all of us feeling somewhat isolated and disconnected and trying to figure out how do we balance the still wanting to get together. And so we are starting a company called meetify.com and it helps to organize in-person meetups. And so rather than just getting it on your calendar, it helps you to figure out what's a central location between me and someone else or several people that we can meet up, coffee shop, restaurant, wherever it is, but where's a central location that we can get together. And rather than going back and forth with all the hassle of emails, texts, we just do that in one communication through Meetify. And the person who sets it up sends out, here's all the things that work for me. And then the person on the other end just gets to make the decision on here's what we'll meet and when. Sometimes it takes me more time to set up a lunch than to go to the lunch. So we're like, got to fix that. One would think that this is a near neighbor to what you already sell that. So I'm going to predict massive success and my using it. Okay. I've got two things for you. One of them is going to be the one we always use to close. If you listen to the podcast before about what God is speaking to you through his word on, but knowing that you're missionally minded through your culture, delighting your employees and your customers, knowing that you have adopted twice, just the thing that God, I think put on my heart is what's a ministry or charity that you all like to give to and why? That is a great question. And we actually divide up our giving between a lot of them. So, well, with Sign of Genius, we really focused on caring for vulnerable children. Mm -hmm. And personally, we also do that, but we've always been, you know, not always the best investors in terms of our finances, but we have been really focused on investing in an eternal perspective. And so we do it the same way as finances. We look at, hey, how can we divide up the resources across differently? So we look at how can we care for our community, our country, and overseas? And so, yeah, so we love, Dan, throw some out. We love, you know, a well, lot of our local our favorite, ones. But yeah, Samaritan's one of our first. favorites is there's a ministry in Charlotte called Brookstone Schools, and they run a small Christian school in uptown Charlotte that is basically subsidized by donors. And for those that are looking, you know, are in a hard school area, and they found that basically it's a K through eight, they found that they can change the trajectory of a whole family by getting the child into this school through eighth grade and providing not only the education for the child, but then they're like reaching into the families through the children. And then the kids get scholarships into other schools and go on and it changes the whole trajectory. Uh, There's a big push in Charlotte to figure out how to improve upward mobility because it's a real challenge in Charlotte. They did a study and Charlotte has that challenge. And so this is a ministry that's really neat because it's solving a problem that Charlotte has and we got to go serve there a bunch of times. So we cool. like that one. Thank you. Thank you for that. Last one I have for you is what is God speaking to you about through his word? It could be this morning, it could be uh-huh. this week, but something that just like really resonated with you. 
I had j- just finished reading the book of Acts, and I was kind of doing this interesting thing where I was had a couple different highlighters, and I was highlighting every time that the Holy Spirit was mentioned, and then every time that there was like a crowd or the church grew. And it was just interesting to kind of look at it all and, number one, just be like amazed at like how much the early church was impacting the culture. I mean, there were crowds and riots and debates and like huge numbers of people that were uh, being impacted. And then secondly, just seeing that the Holy Spirit was a part of every act and decision and movement and Um, So it really just kind of challenged me. I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit working in my life to like be a part of everything that I'm doing. And that hopefully like I would be able to impact the culture, you know, in the ways that the church was doing once I'm sensitive to the spirit. So So good. Yeah, I've been in first and second Samuel. So it's uh, taken me through Saul's leadership and then David's leadership. And it's been just sitting in that the last couple months and realizing how different they were as leaders. And, you know, Saul, I think it wasn't so much their capacity or their ability, um, but Saul was so fearful and led out of fear and out of his own decision-making and what he thought he should do in the moment. And um, things didn't really go well (laughs) for him because of that. And for David, he didn't always make the best decisions. Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't, but he was constantly coming back to God when he messed up. And often, most often, he led with his faith and he would go to God for wisdom in making decisions. And so I'm just trying to sit with that and, and learn from those two different things. I don't think it's so much about Saul and David, though there's some of that, but I think it's a lot more about God and who he is. And, you know, it's not to him. Are we competent, excellent in everything we do, making all the right decisions, but are we seeking him, letting him lead us and guide us, you know, turning to him when we mess up once again? And yeah, so I'm just trying to sit in that for a while. That's awesome. Okay. Very, very good. I'm grateful for you both. Thank you for your time. And um, I'm really looking forward to getting back together with you and learning more about Medify. I think there's so much more we can go into about establishing culture, adoption. There's a thousand things we could take it next time. Grateful for your time. Thank you you so much. We are grateful for the opportunity to serve the community and see listeners come in from more than 100 countries. Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. The best way to stay connected is to join a group study with other faith-driven entrepreneurs like yourself. There's no cost, no catch. In person or online, you can meet for an hour a week with your peers from your backyard or the other side of the world. You can also stay connected by signing up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of many of our friends. Executive producer Justin Foreman, intro mixed and arranged by Summer Dregs, audio and editing by Richard Barley, our theme song is In the House by David Crowder. 